3: Hello, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I'm Kim France.
4: And I'm Talia Bacassis. So we've had a lot of requests to talk about ageism and work, and also about getting fired. And today we have a combo of those two things, and we have a really wonderful guest who's very candid about her experience getting fired at 64, which we will get to. So I think a lot of us feel like we go through our lives not thinking much about our age at work. And then suddenly you want to change jobs or you want to change teams and you realize how other people see you. I feel like I only started really being aware of my age in a work context in the last five years. Kim, when did you start thinking about your age vis-a-vis your career?
3: I'd say in my 40s, probably. I started being aware that I wasn't like the youngest kid on the block anymore, and in recent years, I've thought about it, too, because occasionally I'll think it'd be nice to have a day job again. And I honestly wonder who would hire a 56-year-old woman for a job they could get a cheaper 32-year-old for.
4: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about, too, because, well, with the pandemic, a few of my freelance gigs have slowed down and... I've been looking at job postings, and recently there was a job um, that came up that really interested me, and it was in New York, and so I didn't apply for it because I'm not going to uproot my whole family right now. But it was the kind of job that I thought, oh, they really want somebody in their late 20s, early 30s. I mean, I'm just not the right profile because it was like a cool job, and I felt like they want somebody who seems like they're really plugged into the zeitgeist. And I don't know if I really convey that right now.
3: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I think the other reason I've become aware of it now that we're talking is because of the experiences of people I know who've been looking for mm-hmm. jobs who are my age. And one thing that occasionally comes up when these friends of mine find out they didn't get a job is that it's explained to them in the terms of them not being a digital native,
4: Mm. which
3: means somebody who's only ever experienced digital life, which is code for too old.
4: So they say that, like people have actually said that to your friends.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Absolutely.
4: Well, you, like for those of you who don't know, Kim has a style blog for women over 40, girls of a certain age. And I was wondering if starting that was almost a way of protecting yourself against aging out of working in the fashion industry
3: absolutely i mean for a multitude of reasons i was ready not to work in a corporate setting anymore and so the blog made sense on that front but it also it made sense to make myself my own boss and i was fortunately in a position to be able to do that which i understand not everybody is
4: And nobody can fire you or criticize you for being out of touch or not posting about what the kids want to see.
3: Not what the kids want to see. I mean, they criticize me about other stuff. (laughs) Um, But not about that, no. And also aiming it at women my age made a big difference. When I was a magazine editor, the magazine, like most magazines, was aimed at women in their 20s and 30s. It was a fun relief not to have to deal with that anymore. I'd aged out of being interested in what you look like when you're 25 or 30. Exactly.
4: Yeah, I feel like that too. And I look at magazines often now. I feel like I can't wear what they're wearing or I don't want to wear what they're wearing. So I, it's not interesting to me.
3: Yeah. Which is kind of nice.
4: Yeah, <laughs> it is actually. So you have thought about what you would do if the blog stopped being your thing.
3: I have. I've thought about what I would do, and I don't have a fantastic answer.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I
3: really don't. Occasionally that panics me. If I went back into the workforce, I'd take a job that was junior for me, that I didn't get paid what I used to get paid for. And maybe that's not fair. It's certainly not the experience of our guest.
4: Excellent segue. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very happy you brought up our guest because I was about to introduce her. So our guest today is Sarah Crichton. Sarah has an awesome story. She's like the antidote to this conversation. (laughs) Sarah is a 25-year veteran of the book publishing industry and the editor-in-chief of Henry Holt Publishers, a position she has only held since April. Previous to that, Sarah was publisher of her own imprint, Sarah Crichton Books, at Farrar, Strauss & Giroux, but was fired from that job at 64, despite her uncanny knack for signing authors who end up on the New York Times bestseller list. We're going to talk mostly about that, but also how she bounced back.
3: Hi, Sarah.
4: Nice to see you, Kim.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us the story of how you left your last job?
2: I was 64. I had been working for 15 years on my own line of books at a job I absolutely loved. And one day, my boss called me into his office and totally out of the blue told me that he felt that it was probably time for me to start looking for another job, which, when you Hmm. are 64 years old, is a little daunting. And I was basically being shut down, canned, whatever you want to call it. Sorry, did this really come out of the blue? Well, you know, it did and it didn't. There had not been an official warning or a conversation. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it did. It did. Hmm. And he also used these phrases like, your productivity has diminished significantly. And I said, (laughs) no, it hasn't. And he said, well, you don't work hard anymore. And I said, what are you talking about? I work all the time. And then he said, well, I'm dissatisfied with your work. And these phrases, your productivity has diminished significantly, You know, to a Mm -hmm. 64-year-old woman, you go, whoa, Jack, can't you find some other language to use? (laughs) Or, Hmm. you know, I'm dissatisfied. You go, well, am I supposed to satisfy you? So there were were these
4: um, moments. I'm sorry I keep interrupting you because I have so many questions. But what was your relationship like before that? It wasn't great. And in
2: fact, what I now realize is It hadn't been great really forever. We were always, I admired him, and I I know actually that he liked me, but we were never in sync. Um, We were never easy. I was going back and looking at things that he said at that time, and he said, you're erratic. And I'm not erratic. I'm energetic, but I'm not erratic. But he's a man who is a very calm, smooth guy, And I'm a very big-spirited, energetic woman. I'm also very tall, which sometimes makes me seem even larger. And I don't think he ever was comfortable with me. And I kept trying to sort of figure out a way to work with him. And after 15 years, it wasn't happening. Now, why was I pushed out? I was really pushed out um, because I made a lot of money. Because when you've been good at a job and you hang in there for a long amount of time, you keep getting more money. And he, in my notes, I realized he kept saying, you're highly paid, you're highly paid. And he wanted that money for other uses. (laughs) But the way that I told the story back when Kim and I last had lunch was that it was ageism, pure and simple. And I now realize to a certain degree that it was A, more complicated than that, and B, the ageism to a certain degree that I was seeing was in my own head and in my own fears. And so I'm, I'm figuring that's something that we can talk about too. Because hmm. when you lose your job at 64, your first thought is nobody's ever gonna hire me again. I'm done, I'm cooked and you start turning it on yourself. And um, you start feeling old, or sort of washed up. And the great thing about which we will be talking about, because I now have a fabulous new job and a fabulous new life. But sometimes, yeah, there are people that look at women and are ageist. But uh, we also do a number on ourselves, too, with fears about getting older and um, not being able to be productive, <laughs> to use his word. And uh, so it's it's interesting. It's a more complicated uh, situation than I had thought just six months ago.
4: In the moment when he said that to you, that you weren't productive and all these things, how did that make you feel? Furious, desperate terrified. And of
2: course, you know, when people say things to you, you know, there have been a lot of studies done on racism or, you know, how teachers can affect kids by thinking they're stupid, you know, and and people begin to internalize those words. There was a part of me that thought, luckily, I was having a very productive year. Luckily, I had statistics, I had proof that I was Doing great stuff. And in fact, last year I had a a list of books that were really (laughs) almost hilariously fabulous. I mean, one after another after another. So that was great confirmation that I wasn't just sort of fading off into the sunset. But, you know, you do start thinking maybe I've lost my mojo. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Maybe my ideas are old. And then, you know, one thing that I've been thinking about. Is Also, as you get older, often you've been doing the same thing for a long time, so that maybe you are a little stale in that you've been in the same groove, and it's time for you to get out of that groove and move to another one, so that your mind is operating in new fields and in new ways. But I felt lousy. Mm. How did I feel? (laughs) I felt, I really (laughs) felt like Alice tumbling down the, you know... Down into the underworld.
3: It must have been. Did you ever consider taking legal action?
2: I did, and and actually, a lot of people wanted me to, but the reason I didn't, including, by the way, you know, my shrink didn't want me to take legal action, but he kept saying, "Aren't you angry?" I was being a little calmer than um, I think he wanted me to be, but I was really afraid that to take legal action you have to stay angry and you have to keep replaying it over and over and you have mm. to in order to move forward you really have to keep that fire burning and i thought right. i'm 64 this is probably you know my last act or chapter or a last chapter and i don't want to stay angry through most of it. And I know, and and I'm sure you do too, you know, um, bitter, older women um, who (laughs) feel like they've been shafted. And um, I didn't want those years to be filled with bitterness and anger. I wanted to go figure out what the hell to do next.
4: Right. So what did you do with yourself in the time between when you were bounced and when you landed at this new job? Because um, I want to know if you were afraid that you were too old in the eyes of future employers for another big job, or or what did you, how did you handle that time?
2: Yeah, the great news is that I I did land a great gig. The bad news is that I did a pretty good job of sabotaging myself. I now realize because I thought that what I was doing was figuring out a graceful way to move into you know a new chapter but i couldn't figure out what the hell that chapter was but you know different people would say to me are you going out and looking for work and i would say no because i was terrified of being rejected i really thought i'm turning 65 in a few months hmm. and nobody's going to give me a job and i became completely fatalistic about it and i knew i needed to make a living i started you know doing kind of crazy things like thinking okay, I'll sell my house, and I'll buy, an, a, buy a little apartment, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And I had always sort of thought of entertain the idea of writing a book, but I also was so distressed that I couldn't find my voice. I couldn't, you know, I mean, I was angry, and I was confused, and I didn't want to write a, oh, I'm divorced, and I've lost my job. <laughs> it was like, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, so I I got freelance gigs, but I did all the classic wrong things of undercharging or being embarrassed about how much you charge. But also, mm. you know, I slept a lot. You know, at a certain point, people did say to me, boy, you look great. And it's like, yeah, if you sleep 11 hours a day, you look pretty good.
4: <laughs> <laughs> But I but didn't you feel like the phone is never gonna ring kind of thing? The emails aren't gonna come in. We've uh, talked about this before. Well, on the guess show, what that, like, you're in they this don't. between jobs.
2: Yeah. They don't. You turn around actually I was very grateful. A friend of mine, a guy, said Don't worry, I just have to tell you, you're not going crazy when you when you go look at your emails and you haven't gotten a new one in many, many hours. But I promise you you'll start getting them sometime. And the truth is you
4: So, you know, I mean, -hmm. they do come, (laughs) but I mean, Mm
2: -hmm. it's, it is really disconcerting. And um, you
4: start to feel like you don't exist, right? You do.
2: That's true. And actually, you know, in terms of ageism, the classic example of somebody with a bad attitude about it, I think, was um, the famous writer, Carolyn Heilbrunn, um, sort of a philosopher and she was a professor at, at, at Columbia and she wrote murder mysteries on the side, and she wrote in New York Magazine, I think it was, sort of an essay about, oh, it's so great after menopause, you become invisible, and it's so wonderful being invisible, you have so much freedom being invisible, and then like a year after she wrote the piece, she killed herself. (laughs) oh my god
4: how's that how's that invisibility thing working for you (laughs) oh my god God, that's awful that's not where i saw this going
2: (laughs) i do love puttering i love to cook i love to have friends over i did have work you know people would say are you retired i don't know what that word means it's it's a bizarre word but I wasn't rich enough to be retired, even if I ever thought of being retired. But I did start being invisible and alone. I was—I spent a lot of time alone because I, I uh, wasn't going out with anybody. I have one kid, and she's fabulous, but she's 30. So, you know, she's got her life. And I was getting a little wiggy there. I did a lot of talking to myself.
3: Hmm. I I pretend I don't do that, but what it really transmutes into is talking to the dog.
2: Ah, see. (laughs) My sister kept telling me, you need a dog. You need a dog. Mm. But I think that she thought that if I had a dog, I would go out and walk it, and some man would walk up to me with a dog, and then we would fall madly in love and all live (laughs) together with our dogs. I think that was her hope.
4: That's funny. We're going to take a quick break for some ads.
1: Go to quince.com/slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support for everything is fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. And highest Sarah absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks
4: welcome back to everything is fine a lot of guests have come on our show and have mentioned that they feel that experience no longer counts for much in the workplace especially when stacked against youth so do you think that's true or why do you think that is
2: uh, i do think that's true in some cases i think that it's not true where i am now at all but i will say that in terms of where we are now as a society, we're exploding with new ideas and we have to explode with new ideas. And part of it is the internet and part of it is, frankly, the world is exploding around us. And if we don't come up with new ideas and new approaches, we're lost. So the people who have new ideas and new approaches are going to be welcome wherever they are If you have experience, I think that's even better because you know how to channel new ideas. You know how to to decide or discern what are great new ideas and which are just gonna
4: gum up the works. Hmm. Like you might not be the one to have the new ideas, but you recognize the good ones.
2: I am in an office which a lot of my staff is young and they're coming up with new ideas all the time right now, how to deal with racism what we should be publishing, how we should be working remotely. And I'm now 66, and I've got a 66-year-old brain, body, and knowledge that can harness those new ideas and figure out how to implement them. So I think you Mm. need both. But since the topic is ageism, there is one thing that I'm curious about and I don't know the answer to. There is a part of me that feels that ageism, when it comes to women, is I think that when you get older, it's not that men don't respect your smarts and experience, but I think sometimes when you walk into a room, there's not that excitement, that kind of frisson Hmm. that you got when you were younger and cuter. And it's not about looks, and it's not about personality. There's a part of me that really feels it's biological. I mean, it all has to do with reproduction. And, and, you know, Hmm. they still can make babies, and you can't. And so when the idea comes out of some, I know I'm going to get myself into terrible trouble saying this, but I just think, (laughs) I think in there, there is an aspect That hasn't really been figured out. So, you know, maybe this is the part that you cut out
4: (laughs) (laughs) because. I don't think so.
2: Yeah. Because I don't think that it's about attractiveness. It's, there's something, there is some little spark. I don't know. There's something.
3: Is it newness? Is it just the newness?
2: Maybe it is newness. Maybe it is newness. Maybe it is. Nah, I don't know. I think there's something else. I'm not quite sure.
3: Huh. Well, it's very interesting. I mean, mm. I, I've always I've always just assumed it was youth and beauty.
2: I don't think it is just youth and beauty. And I think, you know, in terms of youth and beauty, I think this um, COVID era has actually been quite interesting because a, a friend of mine said, I love it. I get to see all what my women friend's hair actually is like, you know. (laughs) And I'm actually very happy because my my hair is turning out to be much grayer than I expected. But it looks kind of cool, so I don't have to pay to, to cover it up anymore. But I think that there's a kind of real attractiveness that's kind of emerging in this period where you can't wear too much makeup on screen because you look silly Everybody's roots are showing. Everybody's wearing basically T-shirts. And everybody's looking kind of (laughs) good. Unless they're sick. I think the realness is attractive. The intelligence of it all is attractive.
3: It'll be interesting to see how much of that we take with us once this is all over.
2: Yeah. I bet we take much more than one would think. I think it's sort of like... For those of us who were in New York City during the transit strike, before the transit strike, whenever that was, like years and years ago, no women wore sneakers or running shoes on the streets. They all wore heels and and proper shoes. And then they had to start walking across the Brooklyn Bridge and walking miles to go to their jobs. So they started wearing comfortable shoes and they never really went back
3: yeah much to the chagrin of many apparel manufacturers who are going <laughs> bankrupt now
2: <laughs> yeah I've had friends actually, this goes back to the ageism thing. I mean, I've had friends who have gone assertively uh into being gray haired and they've all said, You know you have to do it, and I didn't for a long time because I really felt like I needed to look younger to stay in the workforce and that Um, looking older, was going to be a strike against me. Was it? I don't know. Was that me doing that to myself? I mean, I do have several things in my closet, in my medicine cabinet, that say youth serum. And and I use them. (laughs) They seem okay. And I buy the more expensive ones because I believe that somehow they're going to do a better job. And Kim, you've been very clear that this is not necessarily the case. But, you know... How much is ageism coming at us, and how much of it is coming from within? That's a very complicated uh, conundrum.
3: I know that when I got fired from Lucky at 47, I thought it was all over for me. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of that was internalized. I don't think it was. You know, I had a desire never to work for the man again, so I never had to go out and test that. Right. But... I I did, and, you know, I I certainly do now. So it's interesting what you're asking, because it's true. Nobody ever made me feel like I was too old to do anything.
2: Well, you know, I mean, it's been an interesting presidential year or two or three or whatever it is. Because there are these old guys, you know, nobody has said of 70 or 71-year-old Elizabeth Warren, well, she's old. I mean, the woman, first of all, clearly has so much energy that, like, you know, (laughs) it's like, try keeping up with her. But, you know, but a number of years ago, or even one campaign ago, if you had said 71-year-old woman candidate, I think that age thing would have, have been held against her. And it's not. So maybe things are shifting in a way, too, that that we're not aware of. I mean, one of the things that really, really, really put me in a panic when I was fired at 64 was, well, do I have like 30 or even 40 years ahead of me? I mean, first of all, I don't have enough money saved up to live that mm-hmm. long. And second of all, I mean, I like these little gigs that I have, but I mean, Is this my life for the next, you know, 30 years? How did your new job come about? Oh, it was so amazing because I got an email from a woman who had been named the new publisher at Henry Holt uh, six months before, Amy Einhorn. And she emailed me and she said, hi, Sarah, you know, how's it going would you like to have coffee or lunch sometime? And I said, yeah, sure. And I, I've only had one meal with her, and I've known her a little bit over the years, but not a friendship, just a professional thing. And um, I said, sure, let's have lunch sometime. She said, what about tomorrow? Well, when Whoa. somebody <laughs> says, what about tomorrow, you cancel <laughs> your lunch date, and which is what I did. Because, you know, you go, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, let's let's have lunch tomorrow. But I thought that she was going to talk to me about maybe there was some project that needed to be saved, some, you know, editing thing. And we had been sitting there for about 2 minutes and I said, "Are you are are we talking about some project?" She said, No, I I really wanted to try to convince you that you should become the next editor-in-chief of Holt. Now, Holt (laughs) is the sister company of FSG, where I was before. So the same top guys who had signed off on my leaving at the old job were still in place. And I said, well, do those guys know that you're talking to me? And she said, oh, yeah. She said, they think it's a great idea. I said, (laughs) hmm. What? well okay wow. let's let's keep talking, and we talked. It was a Friday. uh she said, "You know, call me or ask me any questions over the weekend." I had a few. I emailed her, and she said, Well, let's have lunch on Monday and we did, and I asked a couple of questions, and then I said, I'm in. Wow, it was so fabulous, and it has been just amazing. Hmm. It also has been amazing with everybody in the company because people were very sad. It turned out to see me go and it had not seemed like a right thing. But also I'm working, you know, going back to that conversation about not seeing it before. I had not been in sync with my boss before. And sometimes, you know, it's like any relationship. You can try to make a lousy relationship work, but sometimes you just can't work. Whereas now I'm Mm -hmm. in a place where... I can't tell you what a blast it is. And I started on April 6th after the, the virus had shut everybody down and working remotely. And I have a staff that basically I've never met anybody except in little boxes on a screen.
4: Oh, my um, gosh.
2: And yet I feel great. You know, I, I'm full of ideas. I'm full of energy. And I'm also working <laughs> with those men up above who had signed off on my leaving And does that feel weird? Actually, you know, it sounds really corny, but it feels really wonderful. Hmm. And, you know, I'll never completely know all the stories and I don't need to. But um, Hmm. I was out of work for basically a year and a half. And I really had gotten to the point where I thought, well, I don't really know what I thought. I mean, I just here's what I knew. I knew that I hadn't figured it out. Like some people love working from home. Some people love working alone. Some people are perfectly happy not working for the man and piecing it together. But I turned out not to be that person. I like offices. I like that kind of give and take. I like being part of a team. And so I feel liberated and also more respected now than I have been in years. It's a bigger job that I've got now. And I'm working incredibly hard, and I'm having a blast.
4: Hmm. You're the good news story.
2: <laughs> I am, and also, I'll tell you another another you know part of it, which is just sort of funny in terms of the whole equation. Finally, being you know lonely, I hadn't gone online to meet anybody in years, but I finally, in desperation, I went on OKCupid, and it was horrible. <laughs> and blah. But I did meet a nice guy, and I went on like five dates with him, maybe six. And then the the lockdown came. He's retired. He's 70, a computer geek. And the lockdown came, and it was like, well, I'll either never see you again, or why don't you move in? So we (laughs) moved him in. So Really? Yeah. yeah. So in March, I went from – you know, I've been divorced since – 2013. But my marriage was over in 2010. And so at the age of, you know, 65 or 66, you know, move the guy in. I mean, who knows? And, And I got a job.
4: You, know, you need a sitcom. I know.
3: <laughs> I know. That is awesome.
4: I feel like also it was a really genius move to move in with a computer guy <laughs> during this time. Very. Because he can fix all your tech and everything is so tech now. Except when
2: anything that's a
4: um, Apple related
2: or a Mac, he says, I don't do Macs. No. Oh, <laughs> never mind.
4: Never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. <laughs> I'm not interested anymore. <laughs> okay, so we're sort of jumping around topics now. But you published Darcy Stenke's memoir, and we had her on this show. Oh. And I'm sure our listeners would love to hear what made, what drew you to a book about menopause.
2: Oh, I had written an essay. It was about getting a sex life... After menopause and after divorce, and it was called the coming of age. I had had a boyfriend after my marriage blew up, and I had said to my shrink, "Well, the good news is I'm going to get a sex life again." And it was really and that's of- the
3: bad news too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe
2: <laughs> the whole concept of menopause as this basically you're over you're cooked here's a really embarrassing thing when back when i was uh at Newsweek, I edited a cover story on menopause, and the cover of the magazine had a tree with all the leaves falling and like an Aww. empty bird's nest and it was a woman's <laughs> oh, head gosh. it was like a woman's <laughs> head and the 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 boughs were her Ugh. hair and it had and I oh, went out God. to dinner and I came back. I was like in my 40s and I came back, and all these older women were lined up and they were effing furious. I mean, they were. <laughs> Where
4: were they uh, lined up?
2: Outside your house? Well, no, outside of my office. I got. It was like. Oh, God. Well, I was, we were working late, but it was too late to change the cover. But I'm so appalled that I had anything <laughs> to do with it. But, you know, there you were. And it was like. Yeah, you know the empty nest and the leaves are falling, and <laughs> and yet what Darcy was saying is, you know, this could be a hugely productive time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting because why did I want to sign up a book about menopause? Well, personally, I wanted to read a really great one. And second, <laughs> it was of-
4: your mea culpa for the Newsweek cover.
2: Yes, it, it was <laughs> exactly. I'm giving the world this. Um, And I knew that it was a book that didn't exist and that was needed. But I will tell you, when I presented it, which you do in book publishing is you present books to the sales force and to your other editors. And, oh, my God, the guys would squirm. They would... and I kept saying, This book could be huge and then Ooh. and it turned out what I hadn't even realized was like saying the word menopause in a mm. big crowded room was whoa, you might as well have farted. I mean, it just <laughs> was really bad. Hmm. I love that book and I love Darcy. She's amazing.
4: Yeah, yeah. we do too. We're almost out of time, but I would like to hear your opinion on how Americans' reading habits have shifted in the time that you've been in publishing. Like, what are people reading the most now?
2: One of the things that's been very, very exciting about the reading that's gone on in the last six months or so, or especially since the COVID-19 hit and Black Lives Matter, is if you look at the bestseller lists and you look at what people are buying, people are really turning to books for information for Hmm. answers to help them think through who they are and and where they've been and what they want to be so the appetite is there the desire is there they also figured out ways to find books buy books the the hardest thing though is people can't see what's out there because you can't go cruising around bookstores to sort of look at shelves so a lot of the things that aren't obvious are sitting right. there and they're wonderful and people want them. They just don't find them. Discoverability. It's that. Discoverability. Podcast problem. That's yeah, the discoverability. Podcast, yeah. But the other thing too, uh, tying into what we've been talking about is there really are a lot of new voices. And I will also say there are a lot of new voices from older women. I mean, you know, you do... Mm read reviews. And I can't, I should have come with like a, a, a great list of new authors over the age of 70 or 60. But there are a bunch of them. Oh, and I'll tell you, if you have one more minute, the best party that I went to this spring before it shut down, was a party for the writer Vivian Gornick, who I worship. It was just women. And all the women were in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Most of them were pretty well-known. They were writers. They were people like Carol Gilligan and just major women. It was a New York party, so they were all dressed in black. And they all had white and silver hair. And they were the best-looking, strongest-looking, mm-hmm. coolest. It was the coolest, hippest party in New <laughs> York this past <laughs> year. So nice. I'll have to put together a list. Of writers, but there are a lot of really strong, really smart older women writers who are, in some cases, writing their first books. That's my my goal is to become a Chanteuse, you know, maybe in my eighties, and you know, and a best-selling <laughs> writer in my nineties.
4: <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, this Sarah. This has been so. It's I. This has been inspiring and wonderful, and I've loved it.
2: Well, I was really, really um, excited to see you, Kim, and uh, and to meet you, Tally. So I'm delighted to have been here.
4: And how can people find you? I know that we're going to get requests now for this famous list, so we might have to get you <laughs> to send us the list. <laughs> yes. But otherwise, how can people find you?
2: I'm a terrible Twitter person, but but I am on there. And actually, that that's going to inspire me to, like re-up my twitter thing or something
4: i have it it's
2: like sarah crichton bk
4: i'll put it in the show notes so i'll find it okay great thanks so much for listening to everything is fine we are your hosts talia Bacasis and kim france if you like the show be sure to rate it and write us a review on apple podcasts if you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else email us at tally and kim at gmail.com We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com.